Hello, and welcome to episode 43 of the Network Collective Community Roundtable. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing the nuances of getting your organization connected to the internet. Is it as simple as connecting a cable and calling it a day? Is there more to think about when designing your internet edge? So sit back with a nice drink. If your name is Russ, you might want to grab a cookie or two, and we'll be right back with today's episode. So before getting started, I want to take a moment to mention today's sponsors. Uh, sponsoring today's episode is Viavi Solutions. Viavi's Observer Platform helps you better understand what's happening on your network by focusing not on a bunch of random KPIs, but combining KPI data with end-user experience validation to give you an accurate and robust view of end-user network performance. Also sponsoring today's episode is Path Solutions. Want to make network glitches disappear? Path Solutions Total View makes root cause network troubleshooting easy. You'll hear more about each of these great sponsors later on in the show. Uh, joining us tonight is the esteemed Dr. Pete Welcher. Uh, so it's good to see you again, Pete. Welcome. Uh, also joining us is Tom Amon, and I believe this is Tom's first time on the show. So, uh, so welcome to you as well. Uh, joining me on the hosting side of the table is Yvonne Sharp, and the most recent of our hosts to jump to the dark side of vendor engineering, Russ White. So let's get started. Uh, we probably should start by defining some of the methods uh, that we've seen organizations connect to the internet before jumping into some of the nuance in managing those connections. So, so guys, what do you think? What are some of the ways that you've seen organizations connecting to the internet? Air, water, and land. That's air, it. Air, water, and uh, land. You're done. <laughs> well, right. Yvonne, come on. What's your suggestion? Uh, let's see. Copper or fiber? Oh, come on. <laughs> okay, so maybe I should frame the question a little bit better. What are some of the topologies? <laughs> right? So, I mean, I've seen a lot of organizations that just have a single connection to the internet. That single connection to the internet isn't running a routing protocol. They just have a default route and off it goes, right? So that would be like the connect a cable and be good, which I think Yvonne supports, right? I'm all about the easy way. Yeah. The easy, easy button. Right. That's fantastic. Yeah, it, it gets a little more complicated when we <laughs> add a second connection. Well, we add more providers, right? Nah, it's just two static routes instead of one. Is that it? That's it. <laughs> Man, this is going to be a short show, guys. This is going to be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> you could connect to the internet. There's quick and slow as well, because if you have to get a cable in, that takes a while, months for enterprises. Um, and what some of the colo facilities are starting to push is the idea of portals that uh, once you're in the colo or connected to it, you can get connected up through their portal pretty quickly. So that's a good point because circuit build out is part of this. Um, right. Internet tends to not be as, I, I think as, as long of a circuit provisioning time as something like an MPLS circuit, but I guess it just depends on where, where service is. If you're delivering service to a building that doesn't have any service, there's a build out involved. So, so actually, yeah, that's actually a very good question is should you just call your local cable provider or your local DSL provider, or should you actually think about building a private circuit to something like uh, an, an IX or something? Because those are completely different ways of doing things as well. Wow. Okay. So well, we got and a lot of that's going to depend on your use case, right? I mean, so, you know, smaller organizations that are, that are, that really just need to browse the internet, they need access to the internet to do business, to connect to SaaS apps and things like that. In many cases, a simple broadband cable connection um, is sufficient. But if you're hosting any services, 
um, in a data center that are going to be accessible from the outside, you know, you need you need better service than that. And in most cases, those are mission critical. And so you need uh, more than one internet circuit. And folks can either choose, okay, I want redundant circuits from the same internet provider, or I want uh, to use two different internet providers, which gives some people an assurance, um, a greater assurance of redundancy. Um, most of us know that honestly, upstream internet traffic all kind of goes back to the same few places anyway. Um, so, you know, you've really got to, to dig into what kind of connectivity you're getting to be sure you have the redundancy you expect. Assurance so, theater. Uh, there's a pricing trend I've been seeing lately. Uh, folks that haven't shopped don't realize what they can get. So we recently moved a 600-lawyer firm from um, fractional gig to 10 gig, and they saved money. Saved, saved money going from less than a gig less to a gig, 10 yeah. gigs. It, last two what? years, prices are free fault. So, so, so whoever was responsible for the previous contract should be uh, – we should well, find that guy. It was a good I was, I was going to ask how many lawyers were involved in that to make that pricing. <laughs> <laughs> producing this result. Uh, did we mention speed? No, we no, we haven't talked about anything yet. We just went right to IXs, and now we like totally lost the thread. Yeah. <laughs> The show's over because apparently we've just solved the problem just like that. <laughs> All right. So it sounds like there's several decision points. The number of circuits, the speed of the circuits, whether it's a single carrier or dual carrier. Uh, I think you have physical pathing. I don't know that's been brought up yet, but like how the, how the circuits actually come into your location. Um, I know that that makes a big difference as well. And then, and then where do those circuits actually go? Am I going to a local or a even regional or national ISP? that's delivering me service directly to my location or am I connecting to an exchange point where I can connect into lots of different places? So um, that sounds like a lot of questions to answer. I'm not quite sure where we want to start. Um, maybe we should start with uh, single carrier versus multi-carrier. Um, I think there's pros and cons on both sides of that argument. Uh, what's your guys' opinion? Is there, is there a right way, a wrong way, a more preferred way? I think the, the first question to ask is what, what is your business trying to accomplish with internet connectivity in the first place? And Yvonne sort of said this, but um, are you offering content or are you consuming it? And if you're offering it, I, that's a different answer than if you're consuming it, I feel like. Um, if, you're, if you're offering it, then carrier diversity is probably going to be pretty important to you, um, depending on how it fits in your revenue stream and stuff like that. Um, if you're just consuming it, then single carrier may be good enough. And depending on which carrier you pick, that might be all you, you ever need. I was going to say, you get some additional flexibility if you have, if you have single carrier. So even we're talking about, so let, let's just take like single connection off the table because single connection is really easy. Find the cheapest connection possible. That's as reliable as you trust pay, pay them and be done with it. Right. Like that's, that's really what it is. You don't right. really need a routing protocol. You don't need anything special. A default route out to the internet should do the trick. Like that's it. Right. The complexity really comes when we add two circuits. So we have two circuits with a single carrier. There's some additional flexibility. We can talk about load balancing then and, right. and load balancing. That's talked about like these prefixes go out here and these prefixes go out. You know, Well, so. even, even you can even use um, med in that case because you're peering to the same place twice and you can call your provider and say, I want to make sure these circuits are diverse. Calling two providers and saying, I want to make sure these circuits are diverse is um, assurance theater. 
It's near impossible because they actually have to talk to one another and (laughs) work. Right. I mean, that is, and it just doesn't happen. Like, right. Right. And what we find also too, with a lot of circuit delivery is that, you know, uh, these large carriers tend to have service to, you know, regional pops. And then from there, it's the same person delivering the last mile anyway. And you have one option, maybe two options if you're lucky. Or even worse. Yeah. Even worse. One of them has leased uh, a circuit from the other and is selling it as a separate. Oh yes. That's awful. Like some, somewhere in the middle of the circuit, like, yeah. Here's my fiber from level three. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) I was wondering how long it would take for level three to be mentioned. That little segment, right? Like it could be like 10 feet of fiber and the backhoe is going to seek that out, right? Of course. Of course. I triggered a diversity uh, war story. A uh, major firm that I won't name had a di- allegedly diverse uh, circuit. It both went down within 10 minutes of each other because a backhoe was putting a culvert under a train track. Fiber was on one side and the diverse fiber was on the other side. Backhoe found both of them. Yeah, that, That's a really quick backhoe work. <laughs> <laughs> 10 minutes to either side? Like that guy, that guy needs a bonus or something. That's pretty, <laughs> although, I mean, he was ripping up fiber. So, you know, they're yeah. pretty efficient at that. Maybe two <laughs> were involved. I don't know. Because <laughs> don't ruin my illusion, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so we, we have, you know, there's some advantages to going single uh, that we talked about. The idea is that we have a bit more influence over how things go a bit broader idea about how things are, you know, at least theoretically put together. Um, but we have the, the, the con, right? The downside on a single provider is, is if there's something upstream that has an issue in that provider, uh, both of my circuits lead to the same place. You know, even though they may go out diverse paths out of my, and they end up at different pops for them, if they have a complete routing meltdown, and I won't name anybody, but we've had a carrier recently who had a complete routing meltdown for like three days, um, all of my services to them, what do I do? Right. Like there's nothing I can do. I just have to wait for them to restore the service. And so this is where, you know, if, if you're really serious and I think this is where, you know, to Tom's point, like it depends on what you're doing with this connection. If this connection is very, very important to your revenue stream, it should be dual connections, dual carriers, dual paths. Everything should be fully redundant, maybe more than two, uh, it, depending on the, on the service and what you're delivering. Um, but that, when you start adding two carriers, like what Russ brought up is you have the challenge of, um, path identification. How do I know that my paths are really, truly unique? How do I, how do I coordinate action between the two of them? All of a sudden I have two parties that are definitely not going to work with each other and I have to influence how they're going to send me traffic, which is a challenge that I think we're going to get into later in the show is the ways we can influence people to send us traffic. It's a lot easier when I have one carrier where I could say, what do you want me to send to you? What is it that you want me to do? I'll do that. That's the tool I'll use. And two carriers, they just won't work together. Right? Yep. That's right. Another possibly related uh, topic that occurs to me, for particularly for smaller businesses, is monitoring by the carrier and their ability to tell you how much bandwidth you're consuming. Um, if your premises have an unmanageable, unmanaged router, you kind of badly need that. Been in the situation where somebody's uh, a uh, physician's collective was uh, switching over to Epic service. And it turned out they were overloading their circuit, but you shouldn't, you sure couldn't tell that by their cable provider. 
And that's good. If you don't have visibility yourself, I mean, there might be additional services that your provider can provide for you. Um, and that you know, that might be part of the decision-making process as well. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's assume that we've made our decision. I think for our conversation, we should at least assume a dual connection, right? And we should assume, um, or at least we should at, at least identify what we're thinking about when we're talking about whether or not it's a single carrier or dual carrier when we're talking about some of the things as we move forward. So I guess let, let's talk about first about uh, peering with the, with those providers. Uh, once you get to dual carriers, you have to run a protocol with them. That's- I, th- I think we need to back up one step. Okay, Russ, where are we going? We need to talk about sub rate and full rate and that kind of stuff, right? Well, I, oh, I guess that's yeah. true. I mean, Russ, why don't you? I think we. I think Russ, you can cover this really, really quickly. It's a pretty easy concept, right? Go for it. Go for it. Go for it. Do you buy something that is a 10 gig link, which you theoretically only have one gig with a burst, or do you buy a 10 gig link that's a full, or do you buy a one gig link that's a full, or how do you do that? So to understand that, we go back to Pete's point of worrying about monitoring and understanding what's going on and knowing what type of traffic I'm going to have. And, you know, even back to the point of, am I using cloud-based services for like, am I using Google Office, Microsoft Office, SaaS? What am I using that is going to be on that link? And how am I playing games with that to understand what that looks like? So what are your requirements? Um, QS might also belong on that list. recent case I heard of, the carrier who will remain nameless, has an interesting QS model, which is uh, basically strict priority by class. And so it puts a lot of burden on the customer to... uh, throttle their traffic to make sure no superior class consumes all the bandwidth and denies bandwidth to the less priority classes. But everything's important. I'm sorry. I just was channeling my management and past jobs there. Everything is important. (laughs) (laughs) We can't drop any packets. You need to buy more bandwidth, but we can't afford more bandwidth. We can't drop any packets. Wait. (laughs) Exactly. This is this is that conversation. So I mean, so Russ, to your point, do you get a do you get a faster circuit with a lower committed rate? Um, I mean, if that's the case, why not get a hundred gig circuit and run it on, at a hundred meg? <laughs> you know, like there, there's a con to that, right? And it's cost. Yeah, right. The con is cost. I mean, that really is a cost conversation, right? You you have to know what options are available, um, and then you um, you know it makes sense if if you need one gig of traffic today. Um, and you know that you're going to be upgrading or you expect your need to increase in the next year or so to get maybe 10 gig access port, go ahead and and put in hardware that will support 10 gig. And then um, that's a phone call to your carrier to do the upgrade instead of having to pull new cable and upgrade your hardware and do all that. So it's really a question of what you think your needs are going to be, what you know your needs are now and what you think that they're going to be later. Um, And also back to Pete's point, the way cost and bandwidth is dropping, it changes that equation a little bit because we used um, to be pretty sure that if we were going to go from one gig to two gig, that the cost would at least increase by 75%, maybe not double, but, but, um, and, and that's not the case anymore. So it changes the calculus there a little bit. And some carriers this have is, portals, so you can instantaneously just go on their portal and crank up your bandwidth if you have the access circuit. I was just going to say, this is an area where I think a lot of enterprises especially could um, throw just a few man hours at analyzing what they're doing 
and probably save a lot of money because um, a lot of the contracts are signed. We don't think about them. The bills just get paid. And, you know, if you if you committed to one gig of traffic and now you're pushing one point five all the time, that's a pretty simple renegotiation that could that could save you a lot of money. It's one of those places where the cost center actually you could I mean, you could actually do some some good to the bottom line and really not that much labor. So. Yeah. And, and think about things like seasonal. Right. Um, or I always have. Um, I always have inventory at the end of the month and I know I'm going to eat more bandwidth for that one day and how all that costing comes in. Like what Tom is saying that you need to think, okay, is it worth one day a month if I have an overage to pay that overage fee or is it better to up the whole rate or lower the rate or what, what do I do here? Right. Think, think about how those factors interact in a way that makes sense. Or worse, maybe you can crank it up for a day and then crank it back down. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that, that dynamic is really interesting. I've seen that in a couple of carriers where you can, you know, essentially if you have the access port, you just turn it to the speed you want. We'll charge you, you know, there's some minimum interval, just like anything else, but it's almost, you know, uh, throughput on demand, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you pay for what you use and it's not necessarily burst. You pay for it. And and again, like each carrier is different, but that's, uh, that's something that's, I would say, relatively new. Uh, it's not, I mean, five years ago, I didn't really see that much. That's uh, at a really interesting point, actually, um, seeing a lot of RFPs lately, um, and a lot of them from places you wouldn't expect to have this kind of intelligence uh, necessarily. Well, I shouldn't say intelligence, just just people that you wouldn't think would be that savvy with it. They're asking, like school districts and stuff are asking, I want to be able to turn the bandwidth up and down on demand. And it, to me, it's actually the majority of RFPs I've seen. I've been very surprised. It feels like every single one of them is asking for this, you know, give me a portal and let me turn my bandwidth up and down and, you know. Amazon sort of conditioned us that everything we could ever want is in a web GUI. So we should, you know, be able to get that. And It's great from the consumer side. <laughs> I imagine a little complicated from the provider side, but ah, deal with it. <laughs> we well, that it. plummeting, that plummeting cost of bandwidth doesn't make it easy. No, that, <laughs> to deliver these services like this, right? That's, uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Russ, you're muted. You're sitting there talking to your mic. You're muted. He says to the one person who works for a provider. I know. I was kind of. I was, <laughs> there, we have one, one provider guy. Yeah, deal with it. Get over it. <laughs> All right. So we've talked about access. We've talked about some of the different topologies. We've talked a little bit about single vendor, dual vendor. So let's, let's, let's get into influence. Or I should say, let's start with routes. So we have two vendors. We're going to have to have a routing protocol of some kind. If we're talking about the internet, there's. You have you have the choice of BGP or BGP, um, <laughs> or BGP or yes. BGP. So um, that's scary uh, to some to some engineering shops because they run an IGP internally. They don't touch BGP very often. Uh, I think that for a lot of uh, a lot of enterprise shops, it's not as complicated as it sounds because typically you're getting a default only, right? Like you're you're getting one route in. So you, you don't have it anymore when you lose the connection, right? So BGP, I mean, let's talk about that. Like, is that a, uh, what's the advantage to running a protocol there? And then what are the different type of feeds that we can get from a provider? Well, so, since I'm the provider guy, I guess I'll go. Right? There you go. That's, that was your cue, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> um, I already forgot your first question, but you asked what type of um, P- BGP feeds you can get from let's a provider. Start there. Yeah. Okay. So typically you have generally three choices. You can get a default route, you can get um, customer routes or some smaller subset of routes, and you can get a full internet routing table. Um, some providers offer a fourth option, 
which is, you know, more granular types of, you know, just regional routes, depending how big the provider is. Um, but basically you can get, you, you get a menu of three or four choices of what kind of routes and the, and the provider doesn't care whatever you say, it's not going to be any extra cost really. It's just yeah. how many routes do you want us to send you? And, and, and there you go. So full partial and default. So now let's talk about why you might want each one of those starting with default because it's simple, right? And I don't need a big router. If, if I'm making a A or B decision, I'm going this path if it's available. And if that path is unavailable, I want to go this other path. Default is more than adequate. Right. And that's a, it's a great option for um, active standby type routing design, right? If you only want to use one at a time, then default gets you where you need to go. You put that into your IGP and then, you know, use the knobs you need to, to get the traffic to the right exit point. And it's, it's easy. Okay. So I feel like yeah. I've, that's my favorite choice because it's so simple and why bog the router down and pulling a table every time a link bounces. Um, I feel sometimes like I have to reassure people they don't lose their man card or something by not having a full manly <laughs> feed. I need the whole internet in my router. I need all of it. it well, I, would, I mean, myself. Yeah. I would, I would actually argue that partial feeds are highly underrated by most people and okay. partial feeds are really a good idea. And I want you to hold on to that for a second. Cause I think that's the more nuanced answer. Um, let's go to the other end of it. And that's the full table. Why would you want a full table? What, what's, what's the advantage of having a full table? None. None. Wow. <laughs> Ross, you're just laying the hammer down there. <laughs> I, I disagree, Ross. I disagree. Okay. Oh, no. Bring it on. Here we go. <laughs> Some people will argue that if a carrier loses part of the connectivity internally and loses part of their net, it might let you route around it. And my answer is, and how often have you seen that happen? No, it actually does happen. Deep peering does. does happen. It does happen, right, Tom? Yes. Is that the answer you were going to give? Uh, no, but that's a good one. Um, if you, But really, my answer was going to be traffic engineering. If you... Um, you know, if you want to send stuff a certain way, you've got to have a more granular view of the table than just a default and just partial routes. Um, and the other thing is deep peering can happen, not just to your provider, but it can happen upstream, right? Further upstream. Yep. I've had, the, I've had this happen to me where there's a peering conflict in some other part of the world. And now my, all my, all my remote sites that are just using internet as transport to get back to me that because of some peering conflict that I have, I'm not a customer of either provider. I'm, I'm toast. There's nothing I can do. I can't call anybody and open a ticket. So the fact that I had full tables meant I could do some stuff to, you know, some temporary stuff to route around that while they were figuring their stuff out. And, you know, it's, it's not like the only reason you would ever get full tables because how often is it going to happen? Not that often, but the flexibility it gives you, you know, in times of, of emergency, it's, it's pretty valuable, I think. Yeah. I would say that's actually the main reason that I would ever do a full feed is because of deep peering and, if I'm trying to control outbound traffic and load share my outbound traffic, or um, that's actually pretty useful. Now, what I've seen some people do is they try to use it to use the shorter path to get to the destination for outbound traffic. And really, partials are generally just as good for that, for the most part. All right. So, so it's for a heresy uh, question because um, – some of some folks I associate with say, well, filter on a single hop AS path. Uh, if you're directly connected to a carrier, then you want to go to them and not to somebody else. In the U.S., everybody's pretty fully meshed. Does that actually buy you 
that much. I would prefer to ask for partials from the provider than I would to filter a full table down to a single AS hop. Right. So, like so that. it's clear that Russ likes partial tables, <laughs> and 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 I absolutely want to hear all the detail about why Russ likes partial tables, and I'm sure you do too. But we're going to do that in just a minute after we hear from today's sponsors. Sponsoring today's episode is Viavi Solutions, one of the leading vendors in the application and network management space. Did you know that network engineers spend 75 percent of their time troubleshooting, according to the State of the Network Survey? Yet, despite this. One-third of user complaints take longer than a month to resolve or are never resolved at all. Continually adding to the number of data sources and tools we are observing isn't delivering the desired results. Each tool comes with a requirement of developing expertise, and network teams don't have the time to spend to be experts on each. We really need to become more effective and efficient at how we monitor our networks, and Viavi would like to help. Consider a new approach to network monitoring with end-user experience scoring and KPIs with context not just more data. Viavi offers an integrated line of precision-engineered software and hardware systems that help you effectively monitor and analyze networks, ensuring the delivery of your critical applications wherever you need them. To learn more, visit viavisolutions.com slash network collective. While there, make sure to sign up for a free enterprise protocols poster, a visual guide to protocols and their relationship across the OSI model. Also, while you're there, make sure to enter to win one of four Network Collective community memberships that Viavi Solutions is graciously offering our listeners. That site, again, is viavisolutions.com slash networkcollective. Also sponsoring today's episode is Path Solutions. Everybody loves a good mystery, except for when it's a problem in your network. We all run networks that are incredibly smart. Each switch or router contains an amazing amount of information about the network's health and operations. Sadly, most network monitoring packages only go skin deep with understanding all that stuff that's happening, maybe pinging some devices or querying some usage data from a few select interfaces. This means that every time the network glitches, you're left in the dark and have to manually log into two devices to assemble clues and to find out what happened. What's worse is if the problem is not happening when you're looking, chances are you're not going to find it at all. Anytime you have to tell a user that you don't know what caused the problem, it means you don't have enough visibility into your network. You're being held responsible for the entire network, shouldn't you also have visibility to match? If you knew everything your switchers and routers knew, you could solve problems before users even knew that there was a problem to begin with. Path Solutions Total View is designed to automatically dig deep into network devices to learn what they know about your network's performance. 19 error counters, QoS statistics, configuration, and performance information is collected from every interface across the entire infrastructure. This means that TotalView knows about any dropped, buffered, or mishandled packet anywhere in the network at any point in time. With their plain English network prescription engine and their path mapping capabilities, they can tell you exactly where and why a problem occurred, so resolution is both quick and easy. An example report might be, the VoIP call was dropped at 2.37 p.m. because the Finance 2 switch interface number 12 dropped 12% of its packets due to a cabling fault. This means your network is no longer full of mysteries because you know everything your network knows. Try TotalView on your network and it will show you five things about your network that you didn't previously know. Visit www.pathsolutions.com and they will show you how total network visibility will solve the mysteries in your network. 
So before the break there, Russ was just about ready to expound on all the virtues of partial tables from ISP. So Russ, here's your opportunity. Why is this the Holy Grail? Why, why should people be looking for partial tables? So I don't think it's necessarily the Holy Grail. I just think it's often an overlooked option. Um, and my reasoning is, is that it, they're good for a couple of things. You can ask the provider to give you um, all of their customers or everybody who's in a region, most larger providers, maybe not all providers, but a lot of larger providers can use communities to determine what region they've learned a route from. So let's say that you have dual connections in say Atlanta and San Francisco, you can ask each provider to give you the partials for Atlanta and San Francisco, and you can actually route optimally to those two locations. Now, of course, that may mean you're tra pulling traffic across your core, which you may not want to do. So that's a decision you've got to make about partials. But it just seems to me that it blocks you from, so BGP never converges in the internet ever. It just doesn't. So you can at least get to the point where you're not sitting there with constant churn on your router while you're getting somewhat optimal routing. Now there is a downside to partials. There's a lot of downsides. One is this concept of, um, Depairing events. Another is in the early days of the internet, and maybe Tom can tell me I'm crazy. They don't do this now, but I don't know if I would believe him if he said this. But anyway, <laughs> that providers used to intentionally adjust the routes they would send to customers in order to maximize. Like if you're running a partial rate link or a sub rate link or even a full rate link and you've got a one gig link or a one gig bandwidth, I actually know of providers that would adjust the routes such that they would try to saturate the one gig link into them so that you would call them and get a higher rate link from them. No. <laughs> little dirty. I wouldn't, I wouldn't no. ask providers to do that. <laughs> oh. Says the guy who works at a provider. Hmm. <laughs> I, but, I've, I mean, never, yeah. I've never been party to that, but you know. So, so you're telling me that there's politics in the way we connect the internet? No, <laughs> come on. <laughs> never. Well, this is a time for me to say trust but verify as well. Um, I've seen too many people who were supposed to be getting default only or partials where they got the full table that crashed a small router. Yeah, I mean, that's really the downside. I mean, like, so a full table, right, is what Russ said is churn, and it's also resources. Not everyone's running a router at the edge that can actually handle a full table. And even if you are, do you want to dedicate your resources to that? Because it, yeah. it takes a certain amount of memory. It takes a certain amount of processing power as new routes come in to, to manipulate the route table. Like Russ says, the, the table never really settles, so it's constantly churning. You're constantly learning and de-learning routes. Like, it's well, just... Yeah. yeah and, and beyond that, you're not getting regional routes, right? You're getting a full table so that if you actually do have a, a location in Atlanta and a location in San Francisco and you want stuff going to the West Coast to go through the San Francisco link, if you're just pulling a full table, you don't know all you have is ASPath. Whereas if you have the provider actually giving you regional routes, you now know. Now, that, would be, know. that would be regional routes for them. Right, regional routes for them, but I'm saying you don't know as getting a full table what's what because there's no real like geolocation. Yeah, that's total nonsense. I mean, yeah. you could do that for a carrier, a single carrier, so long as they actually maintain that data. But the idea is, you know, like if if the if the ultimate destination you're going to is off net, someone else's provider, you're going to go out of whatever circuit 
That's right. Yeah, it's not going to be geolocated. I think the main point is that full tables puts the onus completely on you, That's totally right. on you to figure out how this is all working. And if you're yep. staffed to do that, then maybe you can use it. And, and yep. but if not, and, and the other thing I would say is if you're richly connected, if you have two, three, four providers and you're also private peering with a bunch of people, then you're more right. likely to get lots of value out of a full table. If you don't, if you've got a couple of carriers, then, you know, keeping it simple is going to be better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Completely. The, the more richly connected you are, the more you want full tables. Or That's if you like your man card. Yeah. If you like your no, man card. Just, <laughs> wait. Wait. What about me? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Pete. What were you saying? Go ahead, Pete. <laughs> so I think the conclusion we just reached was if you're studying for your CCNP or CCIE, you should get a full feed so you can spend your entire day fiddling with uh, BGP. I actually, (laughs) when I was studying, I actually had one router. I had a full feed for that reason was just because I wanted to be able to toy with the table, but it wasn't any of my production stuff. So I was like, I just wanted to be like, can I get a full table on this? And like, yeah, sure. No problem. And I got it so I could toy around with it, but it was a lab. Right. So, but yeah, don't make your, do not make your production decisions based off the cert you're studying for, please, please. (laughs) I think we've all seen it. Don't do that. It's such a bad plan. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right. So we, we've talked about, and we kind of mentioned it some of there uh, with the route conversation is uh, managing the egress path. So coming from within your organization, going out to the internet, making decisions about the way things should go. Um, and so I think that if you understood the conversation that was going on there, uh, clearly a more specific route is the one thing that always wins, right? So that's why getting a full table allows you, you know, more uh, abilities to manipulate what goes where, because I get more specific routes from one place versus another. What are some of the other methods that we have to influence egress traffic flow uh, with internet connections? And so, I mean, I, I think that we kind of default to BGP here, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that. So let's let's keep open minds about, you know, what are some of these egress options? Well, if we're talking about BGP, then local preference is the the one that's most obvious for yep. influencing how stuff leaves your organization. That's the big hammer. Nothing really beats that. <laughs> right? yep. That's the, we're, we're going to go this way. No, really, we're going to go this way. Well, actually, <laughs> you, you can do longer prefix. And there are actually features in some versions of code. I wonder if they're still there or not. I, I would guess they are because features never leave. They always go in and they never come out. Anyway, um, there are versions of code with features where you can look at the source of traffic and inject more specific routes into your BGP table internally. So you can actually use the more specific. It's, it's a hack, but there are things out there that can do that. Do I need to refer people to the short take we did on nerd knobs? Russ? <laughs> I was going to say, this sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> And so, I mean, all of this is also assuming, I mean, so when we talk about local preference, we're talking about a BGP edge, we're talking about multiple routers who are participating in the same BGP network so that they can influence each other. Um, obviously, not everyone runs BGP into like their their core internal network. Um, and so sometimes the way that you're going to influence it is either through the redistribution that happens, although we're not necessarily redistribution or default origination or however you're getting traffic to your edge. Um, you know, you have some influence there uh, through your IGP as well. 
Um, I've seen people do it with, you know, <laughs> here's HSRP. And if my BGP pats up, I can go this way and this other way, you know, or VRP or whatever. Like there's so many different options when it comes to picking a path, when it comes to AB. Um, the, it gets complicated when you get into the nuanced. I want to send some stuff down A and some stuff down B under these particular conditions. And that's where you start getting into traffic engineering and policy, which really BGP is the tool, right? Yeah, even if even if you're only running BGP on your edge routers and you have two routers or something, um, you can still use local preference to to do interesting things that aren't really that hard to do. Um, you could take the first half of the global table and slap a local preference on it of 150. The second half, local preference of 90, so that it's a lower preference. And then on the other router, do the opposite. Um, doesn't take that much work, and you can get some decent load splitting that way. So even if you're not driving BGP down into your network, you can still do some stuff that way. That's that's helpful. Yep. Any other thoughts about egress? I mean, there's I, there is notably less tools for egress than there is ingress, right? Ingress, we've got like a, a million different ways to influence it, and and only one of them really works. I was going to say, and that's and that's because the in, the egress ones actually work. Right, the egress ones actually work. We have that. I mean, in Cisco World, you have weight, which is locally relevant. So if you only have one router, you can influence your path via weight, whatever. Um, that's very yeah. vendor specific. The words driving BGP deeper into your network uh, reminded me of something I've run across a couple of times now, which is people are running BGP fairly deep, usually eBGP because it just passes along the routes mm-hmm. um, simply. But uh, there are certain ISPs who are also MPLS carriers, and they insist on using the same AS number for both instances. And that can really create some interesting situations unless you filter. Oh, you do a trace route and wonder why the heck is it going that way? And then you realize um, because they're doing allow ASN and you get these insane paths. Yeah. (laughs) As it traces back through the same device a few times. And yeah. 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 I've seen ones with uh, the AS number in it like three or four times in different places in the path, not prevented. Pretty sure that's what BGP is supposed to stop, right? It's funny when yeah. you turn the knobs, the unintended consequences. Right, wasn't Russ? there wasn't there somebody that said you should get like a BGP driver's license before you're allowed to turn it on? Like if you're going to participate in the internet, <laughs> I think that wasn't my idea. Somebody else yeah. said that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like that like deflection there. That wasn't my idea. I just thought it was good <laughs> enough to mention on this podcast. I'm not on week. We, when I was in TAC, we often wanted to ship all of our routers in Chinese puzzle boxes. I think we it's like teenagers. Oh, if you can't figure it out, then you don't. Yeah, you, you can't use your router if you can't figure out how to get it out of the box. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's uh, people have to be using BGP for a while before they become dangerous. That's an interesting point. Because when you start, you really don't know all the levers. Like you go out and you say, okay, how do I do this? And you learn from somebody else and you flip the one lever. And it's when you, you start learning you that you have all the other ones. Like, go, oh, I could do that. Oh, I can do that. Oh, look at that. And now next thing you know, like your BGP's config is like, you know, 400 lines long with all the, the unique things you're trying to do. Supposedly See also CPI study. Yeah. Simpler is always better. <laughs> I mean, like it, unless there's a reason to drive that complexity in your network, don't. I fight, I fight this with my customers all the time. I have a customer, again, this won't be named, but it's just, uh, you know, they're not a, they're not a huge organization, but man, they love complexity. Like they feel like they, they feel, this is back to the man card thing. I think a bit, Pete, like, it's just like, you know, 
they don't feel like they're really doing networking unless they're flipping all of the knobs and turning everything and making it all run. I, I, I think Yvonne had the perfect justification. What's that? I'm studying afraid. For, yeah, studying for UCCIE. Yeah, you've oh, brought yeah. up that story where people f- switched IGPs just because of uh, just because of studying and they needed to learn something else. It's such so, a bad so bad idea. What I hear here is a network collective uh, bumper sticker saying "Just say no" and then in fine print to complexity. Oh, I like this. We've been asked for merch before, Pretty so much. we need to start collecting these ideas. And and <laughs> um, so we've talked about we've talked about egress filtering. Now let's go to the fun one. Let's talk about ingress filtering. Ross, I know you're just dying to tell me exactly how ingress filtering works. So go ahead, go for it. It doesn't. It does. There's no <laughs> way. <laughs> Right, and there's no, one way. No, no, and, no, no. There are there are two or three ways. If you're connected to a single provider on yeah. all connections, you can use Med. If you are, as long as the provider doesn't strip Med, be very careful. Some providers strip Med by yeah. default, assuming they recognize it. Yeah, so single right. provider, and they actually use that tool. Right, which is necessarily one, universally true. Right. Second one is RFC 1998 communities. Uh, is that the right RFC? I don't know. I think it's 1998. Um, we're not challenging you, so yeah. Well, whatever. Someone on the internet will. I promise. Somebody on the internet <laughs> will tell me I got the wrong RFC there. But that's okay. That might be privates, but I think that's right. Anyway, whatever. Um, you can send a community to your. Most providers will allow you to send a community that will tell them what to set the local pref to. Most and most or and or how to prepend from their edge going to their peers or who not to advertise to among their peers. Those are all options. And if that works, sometimes that will work depending on how the connectivity is beyond you. Sometimes it doesn't, but sometimes it does. Um, and, and then you have the big hammer, which is longer prefix. Which, which is the one that universally works. That's the only one that uh, universally works. But there I've, are, I've but providers, I'll, I'll go ahead, Pete. Yeah, I've seen a case where uh, it, pretty convincing argument that the carrier was somehow stripping the prepending back off. Oh yeah, no, that's the thing is is, is prepending is is I, I've actually found a lot of people say that grass path filtering, and I find that people out there making decisions that aren't based off the prepend length at all. Like it's just they just no. don't care. Yeah. Prepend um, is, is is effectively, in my opinion, prepend is pretty useless. The only thing you can do is use a community to set the local pref, or you can advertise a longer prefix. That's pretty much what you're going to get. And the longer prefix is challenging because uh, you know, like you're not going to find anything less than a uh, a slash twenty four. A slash twenty four, and a lot of organizations are not running anything more than a slash twenty four out of a single That's site. Right. And so That's now right. all of a sudden, they don't have access to ingress filtering. Even if they have diverse carriers, because they just got they just got to kind of default to whatever is there, or they got to try to to wrangle. And and Tom, you brought up the interesting point that when you're dealing with the internet, like usually the problem doesn't reside with one of the carriers you're talking to, right? So I have my agreement with carrier A, uh, my agreement with carrier B, and it's carrier X, right? Three right. three hops away from these guys that that isn't that I don't have a relationship with. That is the one that's making some sort of decision that's influencing path towards a particular. Right. And I just, I can't do anything about it. I can't call them up. I can't make them change their right. policy. I just got to kind of live with it. I, I just had this with another, uh, another customer who has dual carriers, only has a 24 and is, is just kind of stuck. You got to do what you got to well, do. Well, the thing to remember going way back in the beginning of the conversation, when we talked about choosing your providers is that 
if you intend to use the local preference trick using communities to try to inbound influence your inbound traffic flows, you need to make sure that the two providers you choose are connected to each other. It's totally useless if they're not connected to each other. It won't work. Well, and local preference is only relevant within their own local domain. So they have That's to have some, they have to have some sort of agreement where they're going to honor each other's local preference as well. No, 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 no. That's not the point. If they're connected to each other, then provider A receives the route from provider V, but doesn't prefer it because it's not coming from their customer. If you then set the local pref using a community, you ask them to set the local pref. They will actually. Oh, I got you. So they'll, they'll right. trust your route more than the one from their. That's their, exactly right. Yeah, but if they're not connected to each other, all bets are off. The only thing you have if they're not connected to each other is prefix length and you're done. We've also brought up something here that we kind of danced around and that's addressing. So I think that, you know, a lot of this is assuming that we're running with our own addressing, which is not actually, I think, the normal case for, I should say, for the midsize organization. Once you get to a large organization, I think most large organizations have some of their own space, right? But I mean, a lot of times when people are going to go pay for an internet circuit, right, they're going to get allocated some some level of addressing and, and that works for a lot of places. Uh, the challenge with that is in advertising. Like if I get my you know, if I get my connection from, we'll just say AT&T and AT&T, you know, gives me a block of space to use, that's their addressing. It's not mine. I'm borrowing it. Um, and there's some hoops you have to jump through if I'm going to send that, that address space through somebody else. It's not impossible, but there's some hoops to jump through. You have to get permission and everyone yeah. has to agree yeah. that that's all Tom, right. Tom can, yep. Tom can tell us how much he loves that. Yeah. 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 It's awesome. Um, <laughs> I think it's helpful um, for those who are listening who might not um, be aware of the terms just to define them. Right. So there's PA space and PI space, basically. PA is provider aggregatable, which is what you're what you're talking about. You go to your provider, you buy some sort of transit from them and they give you um, a small subnet that you can use. And then they aggregate it in your behalf generally to get it out onto the Internet. Uh, and then there's provider independent which is where you go to your local uh, reg- registry and you say, I, here my, here's my business justification. I meet all the requirements. I'm multi-homed, all these things. And then they give you a block that is, um, that is yours and is not attached to your provider. You still have to jump, jump through some hoops to get it announced, but it's not that painful. Um, you know, if you're looking for IPv4, you're pretty much out of luck at this point, unless you want to go buy it from somebody. I was going to say, um, you can spend more and more money every day. Yeah. And let me tell you, that stuff is getting so pricey. It is, my eyes pop out. The last time I saw the price for a, not that much addressing, it was like, (laughs) but yeah. So those two, those two terms, PI and PA, um, if you understand those, I think you can, you can get through a lot of the literature. If you're, you know, if you're an engineer listening and trying to set up BGP for your first time, um, I would say understand PA, PI, how how internet addresses get allocated in the internet and how your provider routes them and stuff like that and make things go a lot faster for you. Uh, so, I mean, so I guess, you know, what, what do you think the threshold is going after uh, a PI block, right? So like, I think that maybe that's a good uh, topic of discussion as well because not everybody needs a PI block. Um, and, and especially with it becoming more expensive on V4, obviously V6 is an option, but there's, you know, that's a tumultuous conversation for another day. Um, so, you know, what is that, what do you think that, that line is? When do you, when do you go to get your own, uh, provider independent addressing? As soon I think as possible. As yeah. soon as possible. Okay. <laughs> now. keeps going up. Yeah, well, yeah, with the, with the economics aside, what's, what, what's the technical barrier? What's, what's, when do, when well, does it make sense? In case you might need it though. 
you want to get it because it's going to be progressively harder and more costly down the road if you need it then. Yeah, but if you're looking at it right now and you're saying I'm going to be spending and this number is not that out of whack, I can tell you a million dollars for uh, slash 17, then I mean, the, you're going to go ask someone to pay a million dollar bill like there's the business is going to want to know why. And so I think what, yeah. for me with a threshold is, is are you if, if connectivity is part of your business? Um, if, if you cannot deliver your product without connectivity, then that's probably one way to look at it. Um, if you can deliver your product or service without connectivity, then maybe that's one possible threshold. I don't need PI space. The internet's not delivering my product. If I'm, if I'm serving, yeah, if I'm serving services out of my network, that becomes an issue where I need PI space. That's pretty and- much and to Tom's point, those really need to be revenue generating services. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know what well, I mean? In this day and age. I mean, I mean, like, PA space is good enough if you're hosting, if it's like for your email, which nobody does anymore anyway, or, you know, an internal service that you're hosting that does not have a huge revenue, direct revenue impact. Um, you know, PA space may be good enough. I mean, when we're talking about what it costs to, to buy your own IPs. Well, say at 24 isn't that bad, and maybe even two, but if you can just get two carriers to route your slant 24, um, that gives you smaller businesses um, that degree of independence where they don't have as much kerfluffle if they uh, decide to change carriers or whatever. Yeah, to to Pete's point, if you don't have (laughs) PI IPv4 addresses right now, and the economics of it isn't prohibitive, like go do it because it's only going to get more expensive. Sure. Um, maybe, maybe uh, another, of course, that, that recommendation is only going to drive up the cost, right? Like mm-hmm. everybody rushes out to go get. Until the price rises. You know, so what, I, that's the bad. So what we need to do is we need to watch the day after this, um, the day after <laughs> this session comes out, this podcast comes out. Oh, I'm going out to buy space right now. That's exactly right. <laughs> right. <laughs> because everybody Can I see on my E-Trade account. <laughs> I think it's really going to get that right. Right, people are going to start. I mean, and, and Aaron is doing their best to to make sure, and not just Aaron, but all the registrars, right, are trying to uh, are trying to make sure that it doesn't become a speculative commercial thing. But I think that that's part of it right now as well. Hmm. Maybe maybe just another metric if you're just trying to decide if PI space is for you, how painful would it be? How much would it cost the business to renumber? If it's yeah. not that big of a cost, then don't. But oh. if it is. Oh. No one likes that. No one. No one. I mean, that, that, that just puts everybody in the category of getting PI space. No one wants to re-IP anything. Right. And IP, the IP address, even though it should not be this, is like the sole source of identity for everything and renumbering. It's not like we have this great service called DNS that I know. names <laughs> IPs where we can go and make a simple text change um, and uh, and have everything go a different direction. I, you know, if only such a mechanism existed. But it's too slow and dynamic DNS doesn't work. I'm just telling you what the excuses are. <laughs> and and the internet would die without dns but you know doesn't matter all right guys <laughs> we're, we're getting close to the end of our show here is there anything that we haven't covered that like we absolutely like this this is something that we need to consider that we haven't we haven't hit yet because i think we've got time for one more topic if uh if, if there's something that we need to talk about so um something that i think is important to think about is that the uh, you know there's 
been people that have talked about the flattening of the internet. I think there was a there were a couple of Nanog talks about it. It's a really interesting idea that um, you know content providers are starting to take connectivity into their own hands. Well, they have been for a while, and um, they're saying, "Look, we'll peer with a lot of people. We we want your traffic. Send it to us. We you know from their point of view, paying tra- paying for transit for stuff they can get for basically free." Um, you know, a lot of people are willing to peer and there are so many um, peering exchanges. And so for, for large enterprises, I think it's definitely worth it for people to start looking, going, looking at that community that, that learn the difference between private and public peering and see if it's, there's something that can do for your business. I mean, yeah. depending on what you do, you may actually gain a competitive advantage using private and public peering. And yeah, um, go, go to a, go, instead of going to a provider, go to a local exchange find a local exchange and dump onto the exchanges point of, you know, onto their fabric and then peer from there. And I think that's, that becomes even more compelling when you start looking at using cloud services. Yeah. And I'm just going to use this as a, as a segue. This is actually a really great point. We're going to be doing a show on kind of like the mechanics of peering. Um, I'm not quite sure where that's slotted, but in the next couple of months, um, so, like, just, just something to keep a look, keep an eye out for. We're going to be talking about the mechanics of doing that and what that looks like for, like, if, if all of this conversation sounds really foreign to you, this idea of, you know, private peering and what that looks like and how that works and how you might go about that. Uh, we are definitely, that's a topic that's on the production list. It's coming out soon. It's probably a bit heavy to cover right now in any real real depth or detail. But I, that is a good point, that there, that there might be some advantage um, in taking a look at that space. And so, you know. Keep your eyes open. That's coming from us uh, in in the in the near future. So, guys, this was a great conversation. I think we're gonna we're gonna cut it here because we're getting towards the end of our time. Um, before we run, though, I want to give everyone an opportunity to share where people might find you. So, Pete, um, where online can we find uh, things you're writing, or are you on any social media or anything like that? Twitter at PJ Welcher, and okay. my blog can be found at netcraftsman.com. If you can Lots- spell that. <laughs> netcraftsman.com. I think people will be able to find it. Uh, lots of great information there. Uh, if you haven't gone to the Netcraftsman blog and specifically uh, Pete's content, there's lots of lots of really, really great stuff. So I recommend you check it out. Tom, how about yourself? Where can people find you? Uh, LinkedIn and on Twitter. I'm just at Tom Ammon, T-O-M-A-M-M-O-N. Oh, I, mis- I mispronounced your last name. I apologize. It's okay. It's all right. Tom Ammon. Okay. I'll get it right next time. I promise. <laughs> so okay. Yvonne, Yvonne, where can, uh, where can people find you? Uh, LinkedIn and Twitter at Sharp Network. Um, yeah, that's about it. Oh, you're not even going to mention the blog anymore. I'm not even going to mention it. <laughs> <laughs> that's when you know it's gone too far off the rails. I just don't want people going there anymore. That's probably a good idea. Russ, your blog has not gone off the rails. Your blog, like I see new content on your blog, like I don't know, every couple of hours. So, so <laughs> every couple of hours. <laughs> so no. Roughly high. <laughs> no, 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 no. Where can people uh, find you? Well, Rule11.tech. Um, you can sometimes find me at ECI. I used to blog sometimes at Netcraftsman, but they haven't invited me in a long time and my feelings are hurt. But oh, you can on. also find me on LinkedIn and you, can, <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter. Although apparently there's a Twitter storm when I joined Juniper and I missed the whole thing. Yeah, uh, you're, you're joining Juniper I, on every social media like it was a thing. Um, <laughs> 
I don't know. Is that how you know you've arrived? That when you move jobs, like everybody else talks about your, <laughs> your job move, like, like it's it, it was it was something to observe, Russ, for sure. Um, I'm not sure. I want that much attention. Talks about it, but you don't even know that it's going on. Like right. you're just, that, you're just above it. That's being above all of it. Yeah. <laughs> Humble brag. No, I just no, really. Somebody somebody told me today. You know, there was a Twitter thing on about you joining Juniper, and I was like, oh, really. I guess I should log in. <laughs> should check whether Disappointed Juniper in your ass. <laughs> what was that, Pete? Maybe Russ should check whether Juniper stock went up. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Renegotiate my package because, uh, you know, I show up and all of a sudden your stock goes up. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. No, I don't think so. <laughs> all right. So I'm, I'm Jordan Martin. Uh, I will mention my blog, even though it's a bit dated. I probably shouldn't. JordanMartin.net. Uh, on Twitter, at BCJordo. Uh, LinkedIn, all the other places, uh, you can find me there. Uh, if you like this episode, we have a lot more like it. You can find all of our content at thenetworkcollective.com. Uh, if you, you know, if you're a, if you're a podcast person, uh, we're on all the repositories. So you can go to iTunes, you can go to, you know, uh, uh, all of them. It doesn't really matter which one. They're all they're all out there. Um, so yeah, but the, the best place to find us is thenetworkcollective.com. We're at NetCollectivePC on Twitter. We're on LinkedIn as well. Uh, we're on Facebook. I can't think of anywhere else that we're at. Those are the places where we're at. So like to see you there. Uh, if you haven't checked it out yet, uh, we have a community membership that is just getting better by the day. Our, our network collective community keeps growing. The Slack is phenomenal. Lots of awesome conversations going on in there. Uh, we're delivering new uh, member exclusive content every month. So um, definitely check that out. Uh, the network collective community membership. You can go to uh, the network collective.com slash join. Um, that's a, that's a cool thing too. I think that's it for today. Uh, thanks so much for listening and we will see you next time.